Welcome to the Speckled Truth Podcast. This is the only show dedicated to the conservation of the trophy trout population from the East Coast to the Gulf Coast. Here, we go below the surface to discuss what happens when science and anglers work together for a cause. So gear up with the crew as they talk about all things big speckled trout. Get ready for the slimy, salty truth, better known as the speckled truth. Hey everyone, welcome back. This is Captain Chris. Another season of the Speckled Truth Podcast. So episode two here, uh, got Chip Davis. And so many of you outside of the Northeast Florida area might not know Chip. Uh, but actually, uh, Chip and I are somewhat related. We don't quite know yet, uh, know that yet, but he's going to tell that story, not related as as Ken, but related in the trout fishing industry, because even though we tried to get him in pulling teeth to try to get Eddie Cabler on this, uh, on this podcast, that sucker would not do it. And that's our commonality, right? That's kind of like our quote unquote relative. And uh, so Chip, hey man, welcome to the podcast, buddy. Well, I appreciate that intro, man. That, yeah, that's definitely uh, talking about Big Show Eddie Cabler. I, I wanted him on here, and yeah, he was our. He was like, I remember you came up here and fished with with uh, Eddie with uh, mm-hmm. Dutcher, and then that's when I started following you. And I just, you're, you're, I mean, it's such an honor to be on this show. My buddy's like, I can't believe you're gonna be on the Speckled Truth, man. I listen to that podcast religiously. He says the guys are gonna. He's like, I get to say my buddy was on there. And, I, and like you said, it's an honor, man. It seriously is. Um, well, I really appreciate that, man. It, it is cool to hear. Uh, randomly enough, it's kind of funny, but uh, my neighbor, who really kind of doesn't know anything about fishing or doesn't fish himself, uh, actually does like to go shoot skeet, and he actually dove hunts and stuff like that. And so a buddy of his locally here in San Antonio uh, just rolled up to the house and said, hey, man, you ready to go shoot? And all of a sudden he saw him or they got to talking about doing a cast and blast in Port Aransas. And long story short, he mentioned speckled trout. And my neighbor's like, yeah, my, my neighbor's really into like speckled trout fishing. And I think he's like got a, a company. It's called like speckled truth or something. He's like, get the hell out of here, man. Are you kidding me? And so it's kind of cool, man, to hear those types of stories like yours. Uh, and, and honestly, man, it, it helps remind us and keeps us humble, the fact that we are reaching people and that people are being receptive to the message with regards to our message, which is take what you need and release the rest, man. And so having guys like you, Bacchus, having guys like Big Show Eddie Cabler, who's going to hopefully <laughs> listen to this, right? Oh, he wants Paul Brown. Like, yeah, Paul Brown. and Yeah, like I mean, uh, Bruce, I mean, you keep, the, the, keep going. But the cool thing, man, is having, you know, Titans in the industry like you guys kind of back us, be on the show, share your stories. That's key, man. So thank you so much, Chip, for being on the, on the show. So, hey, like I do almost every time, man, I, I don't want to steal you guys' thunder. I want you to tell the audience about yourself and how you got into trout fishing. Okay, well, you know, I've, I've been listening to your podcast, so I kind of knew this this one was coming. And I'll try to make it quick. And first of all, I just want to tell a little people you know, about myself. You know, I'm not a captain. You know, I'm very, uh, you know, I appreciate all the captains out there, but I've always been a recreational guy that likes to get on the water to get away from everything. And so uh, in that sense, I'm not on the water as much as some of the, the captains are, but um, but we all have the same story, dude. When I listen to those guys that you've had on there, you know, even though I'm not a captain, they all started with freshwater, you know, so I started freshwater fishing. Yeah. It was 1989. I was fishing with uh, Mike Phillips, who uh, well, it was also my partner in the Redfish Tour Championship that I told you we won in 2000, the inaugural. I kind of have that feather in my hat, which I, I don't, you know, I mean, that red fishing now has gone to another level, but I did win the first one, but, uh, and I won it with Mike Phillips, but we started out bass fishing, you know, and mm-hmm. so we went, and so then I had the opportunity to have a buddy of mine said, hey, you want to go intercoastal fishing? I said, yeah. Now this is 1990. And uh, at that time, you know, it was Mill Cove, which is like, you know, probably the hot spot. but back then, it, you know, it was no social media or nothing like that. I didn't even know I was living in a in a world of just great inshore fishery. Cause I was still, I was, I wasn't educated yet. There was no social media. So there was no redfish trout and flounder and all that in my life other than bass fishing. Cause I just didn't grow up fishing the intercoast. So I just grew up fresh, mm-hmm. freshwater. So anyhow, so we went out to Mill Cove and I was using a pop of cork and a shrimp and I caught a red bass. And I just said, man, I can't, where's this, you know, and the guy's like, this is, you know, I was just fishing the grass lines, anchoring up. And I called my buddy Mike and I told him, I said, uh, 
we're not going to go bass fishing anymore. We're going to go to this intercoastal spot. I'm going to take it. You're going to freak <laughs> yeah. out. And, uh, and this, you know, and so we ended up getting out there and then we started just, you know, learning, you know, and just, and I just was in a world of just this intercoastal, man. It was like, you know, like, look at the fishing that we have going on over here. And so I took it from there and just started, uh, caught my first trout and I was like speckled trout. And then I caught my next trout. So, um, you know, it evolved from freshwater fishing and now we're into saltwater fishing. And now I can just honestly say I've, I've kind of watched this whole thing evolve, Chris, where you guys are. I mean, I'm no, I'm not a heavyweight hitter. Like, the, you know, I've caught some 30 inch fish. There was no speckled truth back then. But uh, I do believe that I was part of the group that started it, you know, kind of laid the groundwork. And I'm not being pompous about it because a lot of these guys around here are fishing float rigs. You know, if you're catching eight or nine pound trout on a float rig, that's a great, you know, but there was no true artificial guys that were actually whacking them on hard baits. So and this was 1990 in Jacksonville. I can't think of anybody. And Eddie Cavler knows because he's got a history like anyone else. And uh, so I, I got, I met a guy at the boat ramp and his name was Rick. And he said, you want to, he says, you know, I just got my first inshore boat. And guess where my trolling was? My trolling motor was on my transom. So the guys have me, well, we guys hadn't even moved their troll. There was no, I mean, there was no Hughes and all that up here yet. It was still, I bought a locally owned uh, stump knocker, 14 foot. I put a 20 horsepower on it and I put my trolling motor on the back. Well, I went fishing with this guy, Rick. And the first thing he told me was, you need to move that trolling motor to the front of your boat. I said, all right. And then the first time he took me fishing, there's no lie. I went to, the, I caught my first fish on a 52M red and white was a nine pound redfish. And I was hooked ever since. And that was probably 1991. Uh, Do you remember, hey, so that being, a, and it's funny because you were mentioning the red and white and we were talking about it earlier today. It's like, if it ain't red and white, right? The fish don't bite. And so do you remember catching uh, your first big trout? <laughs> yeah. So Just, I caught, well, yeah, my first big trout, but I have to tell you, it was on, a, it was on a float rig. So it weighed nine and a half pounds. This is what got the, this okay. is where the addiction came from. It was during that time when I was transitioning from, you know, I was still live baiting because there was no, like I said, there was nobody to teach us. And, uh, so I caught a nine and a half pound, 31 and a half inch speckled trout. I caught it in springtime in a hard nor'easter and almost sunk my boat because I didn't, I was, it, I was just out there and you just imagine a Northeast wind in the spring and my brother-in-law was out there and I finally, I didn't have a bilge pump and I almost sunk my boat and I drifted out under, underneath the bridge and he came out to my rescue and threw me a five gallon bucket. And I was just like, man, maybe I should just go in. So I went back, I did, and I went back at this spot, and Eddie Cavler knows of the spot. It's really, you know, it's, I've named it Big Fish Alley. And, I mean, it's just a place that's produced so many mm -hmm. big trout over the years, and Eddie's seen it. So I anchored up, and I float fish, and I caught a 31-inch, 31-and-a-half-inch trout weighed nine and a half pounds. And that was 19, Ooh. that was 1992. What was your reaction? I was just, uh, well, number one, I thought it was a Jack Reval. <laughs> so, okay. Because <laughs> my, my uh, brother-in-law right next to me, two pilings down. Now, we're fishing pilings, so I'm running... I'm running the court, which the court was actually telling me how to fish the lot hard bait. So when I got back into hard bait fishing, which I, uh, I transitioned, I started using the same pattern, but not running a live shrimp, but running a, a mirror lure down the pylons. And I was catching the same fish I would catch on a shrimp. So the hmm. same thing happened with this one. And I just remember burning my drag. It didn't even fit in my net. It, I flipped it in the boat. I do admit I killed it. Okay. It was my first big trout. I, I mean, I'm, I'm very into conservation. Uh, I just didn't know what to do with it. It was his biggest trout of my life. I, I mean, I got pictures. There's a picture of me, Chris. I don't know if you've ever seen it. It looks like I look like Tom Cruise. I'll have to send I'll, <laughs> Well, because I was, I mean, people yeah. call me that and I'm holding this trout and, and it was in a, I'm soaking wet from head to toe. Cause remember I almost sunk the boat. And I just at the time, my uh, brother-in-law was out there and he took a picture of it. And I still have that picture this day. And I look just like Tom Cruise. And I, I mean, cause I just, I mean, it was, and I'm holding this fish and it was just, it was like, I mean, that's what started the addiction. Uh, to trout fish. That's cool. That's and, cool. Not, go ahead. So, I mean, were, so you were still kind of in the live bait game, but now you're transitioning to the artificial. Now, when did you like, when did you purely go artificial only? Uh, pretty much 93, 94. I mean, I never just, I never went back to throwing live bait or anything for reds or trout. Uh, but we would fish a triple challenge. My partner and I would always just use a, get some bait for the flounder because it didn't matter how you mm -hmm. caught all three. But we were beating people up all the way through the 90s on uh, red and a trout because in that kind of a triple challenge, your your kicker fish is going to be your trout. You see, mm -hmm. most people get a seven-pound red, okay? Most people get a peanut flounder, two and a half. But what's going to separate you from first to second is going to be do you get a seven-pound trout or you get a three-pound trout. And we were getting the seven- and eight-pound trout on lures before everybody else was. And this was like 94, 95. 
So, uh, so the transition was coming, and but my main go-to lure was a 52M. There was no subsurface. I mean, at that time, there was no 27, no 17. There was not even a top dog. We're still talking 52M. There was a 7M, 52M. I was still in the 72M, which is they don't even make it anymore. They make a 77, but the 72 was shown to me by a buddy of mine that says, if you like the 52, try this. So it's a little bit more bigger profile bait. Um, but I mean, at the time, and then we threw a bomber. I mean, there was really, mm-hmm. there was no L30. A mirror lure had a lip bait, but it just wasn't, you know, if it don't track right, it's just not, you know, they didn't put the time like they did with the L30 with Eddie, you know, uh, console mm-hmm. and all that. Cause I, that bait, that guy runs that, works that bait better than anybody I've ever seen in my life. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I think he put on a show for you with that one, didn't he, Chris? <laughs> he, he did, man. I mean, admittedly, I'd thrown jerk baits, but never really until I'd never thrown an L30 because they were still, I think, in somewhat of the developmental phase. So it's yeah. pretty cool. Yeah, that was like the, the prototype. You were, yeah. Yeah, on the front end of that, and like, oh my God, this thing. Uh, and then, yeah, him on the front of that boat, I'm like, good God. Uh, but, it, you know, that's the cool part about this whole endeavor is getting a chance to fish various estuaries with really, you know, people that definitely know their stuff. And then, honestly, the community that we have, I mean, there are people from all over that share, contribute um, all these different, you know, tech techniques to approach. And it was really cool to always see Eddie approach and understand it but then getting to see it and witness it different story right different I, story. I try to tell people that story i don't want to get off base where you know kind of no, through, but uh you know I'll, I'll jump all over the place i got ocd I'm, i mean i just <laughs> but i admit to it i mean I, it's hard to keep if you're going to keep my conversation don't talk about redfish tell me about that big trout you caught and tell me what you caught it on but no uh, so, go ahead yeah. you were talking about no so i was going <laughs> to ask you yeah before so to keep you on in line right uh, and I wanted to ask you that, right? So we got off on that L30 and the lip jerk baits and you're talking about bombers, but my question is, you know, this, what is it about like the 52s and those slow sinking kind of twitch baits in the Jacksonville complex that works so well? Well, I think a lot of it plays to the cat. It's a great bait to run with the current because if you know, we got the St. John's river, so we're not fishing a lot of flats, you know, we don't wade fish. Uh, and a lot of times we're up there throwing uh, the 52M. I don't really throw it at a grass line as much as I would throw like the 27 now. I used to, but it would, you know, it drops one second, one a foot a second, you know, the, and where, where it doesn't suspend. So it was never a great search bait on the grass flats, which we don't really have flats here. We have oyster beds. But what it did do, it was able to drop into some current. If you got four to seven foot of water, you got an outgoing tide next to a rock jetty, that's the perfect bait to run parallel because it just drops. Don't I don't know what the heck happens. It doesn't have any play to it. But I'm telling you right now, pound for pound, I, I've laid the groundwork and, you know, score, just finding big trout with that lure running it next to pilings because I didn't have to go anywhere else. Man, I was I was making a living in Mill Code. There was nobody in there. I mean, we're talking about night. There was Chris Holman, Raymond McCauley, Rick Thacker, um, uh, and my friend Rick. I mean, there, so there was, there was no pressure. You know what I mean? So I didn't really have to seek a bunch of different yeah. areas. I could on any given day, back then our trout limit was 10 per person with one over 24. So you got 10 per person, one over 24. So, I mean, right. so you could keep all these four and five, six pound fish. And I mean, it wasn't uncommon to, because the, the fishing was even good. And, you know, you said you live in San Antonio. Yes, sir. Okay. Well, Texas, uh, their, uh, pr- uh, uh, Marine patrol and protectors, they got rid of the gill nets in 1983. Mm-hmm. Uh, we didn't get rid of the gill nets in 1994. Okay. So we still had a lot of gill netting going on and I was catching more fish than I do now, even while there was gill netters. And I just think, uh, you know, your conservation out in Texas, getting rid of them in 83 is I think a big part of why you have such a good trout population. We were, yeah. we were, kept, there was guys were just slaughtering these trout. I would go out there, Chris, it was sad. I'm running down, the, you know, going to my favorite spot and these guys are pulling a net. And I don't know if you've ever seen a gill net before and they're just running this thing. And they're like, I, I'll get what you don't get. And I was like, yeah, because it was it did discriminate, man. Everything that went so, in that net, you're going to, it's going to die. Yeah. So admittedly, I mean, growing up in New Orleans, I was so young, man, to honestly even really maybe quite understand what was going on, but we would go fish. This was right when CCA or GCCA actually was uh, getting rid of the gill nets in uh, Southeast Louisiana Yeah, and in I Louisiana. And so I remember there being a lot of concern for my dad and now kind of understanding a little bit more about it was, you know, driving back home, going back to the launch uh, and 
checking to see if like your tires were slashed or they yeah. would put like roof and nails across the highway that goes into Delacro because it's one main highway. So they would, they'd lay like roof and nails across the highway to prevent any recreational anglers from coming in. And, uh, it was, it was very contentious. And I understand obviously the folks up in North Carolina are still kind of sifting through that. And there's a lot of discontent. Right. And so, and then even in Mississippi, now they went to a, um, a rod and reel commercial quota. And then recently up to like two years ago, they found somewhat of a little bit of loophole in that. And, uh, they were using kind of hall sanes, quote unquote, hall sanes. Um, but in, in all reality, they were, they're they were they're that. Yep. Man, yeah. And so I, I don't want to get off too much. Yeah, on tangent, yeah, exactly. but no, you, but, you but I was just saying, no. so what, yeah. getting back to our whole point about it was, yeah, I believe the reason why, you know, I, we, our 1994 battle was brutal, but we got it passed. But, uh, Texas has always been their conservation to good. So we're very envious of your trout fishery over there. I know I am in North Florida because catching a 10 pound trout here, is not that easy, man. And I mean, Eddie's mm-hmm. got a, a half dozen or more over 10, I don't have a 10 pounder, but uh, I just felt like back then I was catching more fish because there was less people. <laughs> so, was just, so that's what I'm talking about. So it's just grown and now you have social media and, you know, it doesn't take a lot. I mean, you know, I mean, social media, it is what it is. Uh, there's more pressure on the fish. It's just, mm-hmm. you know, it's harder to get a big one here in Jacksonville. But so that's why I'm saying for somebody like Eddie that can go out and do it uh, on a continuous basis, this is pretty strong. Yeah. Um, but I mean, it, it also shows, I mean, like, um, it also brings more relevance, I guess, to kind of our message again, release over 20 to, uh, empty stringers, catch and release program and all these guys. And it goes back to man, like just changing angling mindset of like taking what you need and releasing a rest, because what happens is, is if you continue to operate as we did in old now with the number of anglers on the wow. water and the amount pressure, of pressure man pressure is incredible oh my gosh right these it's fish so don't recover hard, but, man i mean there, yep. there, there's a point every there, I mean, there's enough well we, we call them community holds i'm sure you do the two mm-hmm. yeah if you have somebody pounding that community hold day in and day out they don't get any rest you will you will make a difference in the population the redfish population because there's a residential fish you'll snatch all them right off those oyster beds you'll have more move in but uh it's so you got to constantly be changed your different ways so getting back, you know, back in 94. So getting through the gill net process, the 52 is all I had. And remember they had a 7M, which is still real popular in South yeah. Florida. Oh, yeah. 7M. So you had a 52M and 7M. So then all of a sudden I'm going along and some my buddy hands me a top dog. He says, mm-hmm. check this out. This is 1997. Now, man, I didn't grow up with the Zara Spook and all that. I just, when I transitioned to saltwater, I immediately got turned on to a hard bait, sinking hard bait, which is was whacking fish left and right. So then I got turned on to a topwater. And some people were like, what do you mean you never threw topwater? I was like, hey, I'm just telling you. I was a bass fisherman. I threw worms. I didn't mm-hmm. know about the different techniques. And remember, granted, saltwater topwaters really weren't out yet. So Mariler pulled out this top dog. And I, and I just, I mean, I'm telling you, for four to five years, Chris, I hate to say it, all I threw was topwater. I had a 7.6 <laughs> Shimano V-Rod with a Calcutta 150 with 20-pound. And I wasn't even on the braid yet. I was throwing 20-pound uh mono uh the spider wire mono which is like less stretch yeah. and i would just wing that thing and i'd throw it in tournaments for seven straight hours man i went in it but i would catch the fish with it and that's and then you look at because things change so you know would i do that now no i don't throw top water right now all the time because but there wasn't that many options there was no subsurface you didn't have this whole yeah. subsurface of 17s 27s uh i didn't even know oh, anything about going. yeah i didn't have the 27s you didn't have uh I mean, the Paul Brown was, I mean, I'm just now getting on the Paul Brown. I mean, that Paul Brown is made for a lot of the areas I fish. I just had to take the time to learn it. But as far as being North Florida go-to lure, oh, you know what my number one go-to lure was before I went on hard baits? Was a man stingray grub. Oh, yeah, baby. I'm looking at, <laughs> How about I'm looking one, at huh? one, man. I'm looking at one. Well, oh, my it, God. Hell, yeah. Well, that was, and I threw, I had a, I had a pin 430 SS on a six foot Kunan rod and I threw straight braid with, it was 10 pounds. The first stuff that came out was Fireline, And mm-hmm. I, and I threw the stingray and I mean, the stingray grub, no, it's granted. I'm not a great plastics fisherman and I'm here to tell you number one, I just don't have the patience for it. And I, you know, you have to be multidimensional. I understand. I see, but as when it comes to me picking up a gate bait, if I can't throw a hard bait now or throw a Paul Brown, I love the devil and all that, but just to go fishing with a three inch Cocoa minnow or Slayer and all that, it's just, it's not, I, I'm just not conditioned to do it. Cause I like, I like bait mm-hmm. casters. I do a lot of bait casters. 
Yeah. And um, so, so getting back to the lures that were there, you know, to get that top water, man, it was like, oh my gosh. And then after that, it was, uh, you know, it just transitioned into throwing top water, throwing the 52. Uh, people were throwing a grub. A lot of tube baits were being thrown in the late 90s around here. Yeah. But nobody really found that new trout bait yet. You know, it was still top water. It was, you know, super spook. The 52M, a grub, you know, people love throwing a, you know, curly tail yeah. grub. Uh, and then I would just remember one day this buddy of mine came over to my, you know, my garage. We call it the garage. You know, it's like where, where everybody has a wall of fame. I turned to Eddie Cavalier on how to, I said, dude, you should build your wall of fame with all your lures. And then you have the wall of shame, the ones that don't ever <laughs> come back off the wall. You just give those away. Uh, this buddy of mine handed me this lure one day and it was the 17 MR chartreuse flame. And it, and no, actually it was a 17 MR white. It was just a solid white okay. one. And he said, trip, try this. I said, what is this? He said, this, I said, yeah, I don't got, how do you throw it? I don't have no confidence. In it. he says, I don't just throw it out there and twist it. And they hit it. I said, really? Okay. So I started, I started dialing in with this thing. I started getting a lot of confidence with it. And I remember calling Eric Botnick, one of your sponsors, you yeah. know, he's my sponsor too. They sent, you know, they, I don't, when I consider being, a, I'm not a pro staff. I just have a good rapport with Eric. I've known him since like 94, 95. Uh, I called him and said, Hey man, can I get some more of these 17 MRs? He said, what, how deep are you throwing that chip? I said, four to seven foot. Four to seven foot, man. That's a one to two foot. Are you serious? I yeah. said, yeah, bro. I'm serious, man. I'm ripping it. And I mean, I'm working this thing fast, man. And, you know, I, I, this is even before it took off. And then, uh, and so he says, okay. And then along comes the 27, you know. So then I, I was, I mean, I'd take that 17 MR and I mean, I just made a living on it in Palm Valley because, you know, you follow my post before, Chris. Yeah. I have an area in town that I just love in the wintertime, man. And I, I'm not giving up a spot because people go down there, they get, they don't catch it, they leave, you know? So anyhow, I was, I was able to home. There's no current in there. It's almost like fishing up in the, in the marsh and stuff where you guys, there's yeah. just no current, but it's a, it's a waterway, but it's just, it's, it just doesn't have the current. So you're able to throw suspending baits and you can't throw a, a suspending bait in, you know, a hard current. It's just, you know, yeah. it's going to turn. So, yeah. yeah, it's just going to come up on its side. And, you know, if the bait's not tracking correctly, you're not going to catch nothing. I mean, you want that bait to be so mimic what these fish are eating or, you know, so. And so I, and next thing I know, I'm telling Eddie, man, Eddie, you got to try this. Well, oh, that bait's too little. I can't throw a 17 out. I said, man, you'll like it. <laughs> so, uh, so then he came out with a 27, man. And I was just, the 27 MR was just, was everything. And, uh, you know, and that's still, if you ask me, I know you're going to ask me what my favorite bait is. So I'm going to go ahead yep. and get it, get it out. Uh, and like I said, uh, I'm not doing it like I was, man. And, but to be, to have Eddie tell me this, so I, I guess people do listen. I'm just humbled. The 27 was definitely at the time was my go-to bait, especially in Florida, Jacksonville, because it's a, it's a, a search bait. You can get them. And if you get them on a bite, well, last winter, dude, I really fell in love with the Paul Brown line. And I think it's kind of crazy when you tell me, what do you mean? You never heard about it. I said, I just never put no time into it. Mm-hmm. So I gave it three, four months of my winter spring of just not really picking the 27 up and just getting on the Paul Brown. I got killed him on the devil. You know, the, yeah. de- the devil, the devil, the devil was killer. And then I had him on the, uh, the Paul Brown, the, you know, the sinker. And then I caught some big fish on the original, but I just find that, that, that subtle, you know, turn with the, uh, you know, the dropping of that Paul Brown really played well in some of my spots. And I'm looking yeah. forward to throwing it this year. So the depth, I mean, I did a lot of extensive research, man, because I love the Paul Brown series, threw them for a lot of years, uh, arguably, actually, so nobody's going to ask me this question, but my favorite bait is actually a Paul Brown fat boy. Uh, what color, what color, what color? Honestly, uh, so to steal a response from Mike McBride, it depends, right? So there is nothing, right, that, that you could say, but I would probably, I'd throw the Halloween, uh, the 08 color. Um, probably, or the 11, I like that pink, right. uh, with the black back, the original ones. Now for the custom corkies, uh, God, there's so many to choose from Texas tournament's been one of my favorites recently, but I really love Bay mistress, which is kind of like a silverback gold flash, uh, with a, uh, a chartreuse belly, that one gringo, which is kind of shades of your old. Uh, or your first 17. Yeah, that's model, one of my favorite pure white, colors. Right? That's one of my favorite colors over here. Pure white. Yeah. yeah, I like it over here. I Purple chin. Yeah. Yep, so, but I, I wanted to, so before we get too far, which we, yeah. I know we did, because we talked a lot about fishing current, but for a lot of our listeners, man, that aren't truly familiar with the Jacksonville complex, and I really kind of took appreciation 
for the anglers that fish that area because um, there is, it's very unique. It's very, very unique. So if you can tell us a little bit about um, that area, right? About grass, flats, tide, okay. you know, and, and yeah. kind of what makes it unique, uh, that Jackson delivery. Well, you know, we have, you know, we average, you know, four and a half foot tide, you know, so that right yeah. there will throw people off because you'll come over here and you'll be, you'll fish and be fishing an area. Then six hours later, it'll be underwater, you know, mm -hmm. so you got to be is able that to, is that twice a day twice, trip? yeah twice a day yeah and right okay. now we've got these really right now we're in the in the pattern of the really super high super tides where the guys mm -hmm. are you know that's another thing they tell in the reds but so getting back to our, our fishery uh it's based on uh a lot of like a high water let's say high tides at 7 30 in the morning okay you and mm -hmm. i are going fishing where are we going ship well we're not going to go to the rocks and the docks because the water's flooding over all that that's that's always been a place you want to go later when the tide is dropping so we would go into a grassland area and we'd go to a flooded oyster bed, flooded points, and just start working subsurface or top water. And if somebody really wants to throw a grub or, you know, a fluke, which I used to love fluke fishing. But so all of a sudden in two or three hours, that water is going to be down, gone. You got to get out of there. So what you have to do is you got to learn how these fish transition from one spot to the next. So if you don't, if you don't know to leave that grassland and go to where they're going next, then you're just going to be lost. So then what they do is these fish will pull out and they'll move into the main river and they'll start moving on the bigger structure, like Eddie likes the rocks and docks. Uh, and then, then that's when you're going to go into four to six foot of water, and you're going to have current. And I've never liked it when it's, you know, fully humping. Nothing really happens when the tide's flying, man. I mean, it's not, it's just not, you know, fish are going to settle down with Lassie outgoing. I always like Lassie outgoing, first thing coming, but never when it's just in the middle of it, just roaring yeah. out. You know, you want to, you're just like, when it'll, it'll meet a point in the time when it's just like two hours left or an hour, and it's like the golden hour. Okay, everything just starts slowing down. You'll start seeing things hit the surface. So we have a six foot tide. So you have to find yourself preoccupied. If you if you don't know where to go, you're going to find a big law in your fishing. If you start out red hot in the morning because you're fishing a grass line, but then the water dumps out, where you're going to go? So you have to be able to be multi multi dimensional. You have to be able to go into four foot of water, and then pull back out to eight to ten foot of water. If you're going to yeah. follow, if you're going to follow these fish, I mean, these fish are in, in, in there, and they're set right right now into a fall pattern. But, um, you know, Eddie, Eddie you know, I, I, I hate to keep referring back to Eddie, but I mean, he's the only guy that I really, I look up to when it comes to fishing, uh, because I just know when, what he does is I try to mimic how he does it, uh, only because he's on the water lot. But anyhow, I know he really likes to dial in the rocks and the docks. I mean, that's, you know, mm -hmm. he's not out there fishing, uh, anywhere where there's no docks and all that. So, um, yeah. but I mean, it may, and also we have the jetties, so you can go to the jetties. And uh, something that's really been happening lately, man, which I did years ago, was uh, fishing the going out there and fishing our jacks, our, our beaches, like you guys do. You know, you guys go in the surf yeah. and catch. Well, that wasn't really that known, but in the last four or five years, it's gone crazy. And we found in the summertime, we go out there and throw top water and twenty sevens around these pier structures and all that. And we're catching four or five pound fish. So okay. we got a lot. So we got a lot. And then you got the the world famous guana. Which oh yeah I, yeah okay so you, you you'll you'll get people start with that's a whole other topic too. Uh, no, Guana, I had Matt Chipperfield on there uh, last yeah, year, he's, man. He yeah, talked about stud. that. Yeah, great guy. <clears throat> yeah, I mean it. That's that's as a lake. Okay, that's like fishing. Mm -hmm. Talisee. What is the name of the the lakes out there? Galgashu. Yeah, Galgashu. Yeah. And what's the mm -hmm. other one next to it? There's Sabine, Sabine. Lake. Yeah. So these yeah. so it, those are these fish don't once they go in they don't leave. Uh, and that's why there's always been like, which is easier to catch one in Guana or catch one in the in, outside of Guana? Well, I've caught them in Guana, and but I can tell you this: outside of Guana, fishing our fishery, it's a whole lot tougher. Okay, you, and that's why you know I you can go into Guana and catch it and jump into a nine pounder, and not saying it's luck and all that, but you can't go in that St. John's River and luck into a nine pound trout. That ain't happening. Yeah, you better have some skill. You better know where you're going because. You ain't just going to pedal kayak yourself around or get your 9.9 .9 and just jump up on a nine and a half pound trout. It ain't happening. Yeah. It's just, because yeah. it's, it's a challenge, man. I mean, it's, and that's what makes a trout such a great species. I tell people I hunt these things, man, like anybody else. You know, you, you, I don't get excited about red fishing. I don't get excited about <laughs> flounder fishing. I mean, yeah. I'm not, and it's no, and it's not, it's just not putting down anyone. I just not, I mean, I did win Red the Fish Shore Championship, which, you know, you had to do something about it. Then I beat C.A. Richardson, the Watts brothers. Uh, it was a great, it was a three-day tournament, but when it comes down to it, like I said, if you showed up at the dock with an eight-pound redfish or a seven-pound trout, people are going to gravitate that seven-pound trout. Oh, 100%. You man. just don't I mean, see them, man. I mean, they're and that's well, why they're a hundred species, and they're called gators, and some people go their whole life and never catch a six-pound trout, man. I agree, but 
and and I mean, you having some experience, obviously, in that redfish game, and you've seen it evolve, like I have, right? Oh because yeah, those towers and all that. Yeah, it's crazy, yeah. man. That participate. I mean, they just had the Redfish World Series. Yeah, Gritter Griffin. I actually, I bought my my yellowfin from Gritter Griffin. Who? Oh, we just uh, talked about. Yeah, your yellowfin. I know, right? So, yeah, the side. Get the side. Anyway, uh, but <laughs> there was a couple of things that you had. Yeah, because you're getting that. E- Did you get the eager? Yeah, oh, yeah, I got it. Yeah, it's actually at the, it's getting. Uh, I'm getting a backrest put on it right now, and it's getting all the aluminum get powder coated black. She's gonna be. Oh, you'll sweet. see it, Craig. I'm about to go. I got 23 days till I'm, I'm off the grid. I'm gone fishing. Hey everyone, I want to take a quick second and recognize one of our podcast sponsors, and that is Mirlore. Time-tested and proven pretty much in every saltwater angler's arsenal. Uh, and they make just a tremendous lineup of products from the 17MR and the 27MR, which is your Miradine lineup, as well as the uh, topwater lineup to include my personal favorite, which is the She Dog. They also make a pretty solid lineup of uh, soft plastics as well to include the Little John, the Little John XL, as well as the Mirror Lore Provoker. But we can't forget about the all-time favorite, the Paul Brown series, to include the Paul Brown Fat Boy, Soft Deans, and Soft Dean XLs. So I want to thank Mirror Lore for sponsoring the podcast. They've been incredibly paramount to Speckle Truth as well as the podcast, and we highly encourage you to go support them and entitle Mirror Lore and turn on the bike. Texas Custom Lures and the original Custom Corky have been podcast sponsors for the first two seasons and we're incredibly appreciative. This Texas brand with inputs from the most respectable guides across the Texas coast complete every big trout angler's arsenal. With great fish catching colors, my personal favorites, Texas Turnip, Bay Mistress, Plum Nasty to name a few, it's easy to see how these things produce time and time again. So next time you're targeting that next big bite, I highly encourage you to fish the original custom Corky. And remember, the big girls aren't colorblind. There were two things that you'd actually recently mentioned, man, that I think are pretty relevant. I think our listeners really like. Um, and so the first was you talking about not only your approach, but Eddie's approach, especially coming like really kind of chasing those fish off a of flat kind of it makes sense, right? The yeah. water's high. Those it's going to drop back. here. Yeah. Water's falling. It brings that bait out. Obviously, it's a natural, uh, you know, uh, point, right? Right. Um, and then so, but then making the transition to structure that's bigger in nature and that bigger in nature structure holding fish. And so what I found is when I lived in Biloxi, Mississippi, that's really when I started Speckled Truth was when I lived in Biloxi. And there's a parallel here between Jacksonville, Pascagoula, Biloxi, Gulfport areas because, and I wrote a blog post about it. Uh, and I talked about it back then and it's called Go Big. And the idea was, is that if you think about big trout, um, they are very uh, oriented to structure like bass. But if you think about the structure that they typically orient themselves to, it's typically bigger structure. And so in Biloxi, a lot of the big fish that I would catch would be around the casinos. Now, I know there's a ton of casinos, obviously, on the coast. Gulfport Harbor was another one uh, over in the Ingalls Shipyard, uh, over in the Pascagoula area. And the idea is that, again, it's kind of this, this big man-made rebar concrete pile yeah that's what we know, got over jetty here. Yeah, pipe that's exactly you know the structure it, we have and here. it's it's not the little uh, no, small flat uh-uh. right that has just a little bit they of grass. Like, now, they like the gnarlier the better man they're nasty fish i mean they're big they, girls they do right and well, so our fish uh, get uh, thick over here because you know they're that st john's river if you if you seen you've seen some of those big ones that he holds oh up. yeah I mean, uh, yeah. you can look at a fish coming out of fort pierce it'll be long but they'll get 32 mm-hmm. 33 but you look at our fish, they just got the, and so to be that thick and that stout, they got to be able to swim in that current and they're mean, man. No. And so the, actually when I was fishing with Eddie, I said that, you know, I, I stuck one, I think she was like five and a half. He caught one. It was closer to, I think like six, six and a half, something like that. <clears throat> and we caught a lot of fish that night. Oh, I remember that too. Yeah. Y'all, y'all were it, killing it, man. It was good. But, but, um, the point there was, is that, um, the fish, when I caught that one, I'm like, dude, this looks and how we're fishing. It feel like if I were to close my eyes, it feels like I'm fishing Pascagoula. And so, and it just goes back to understanding that this big structure, 
you know, again, jetties, again, big bridge, bridge pilings and things. That's why like, like Pontchartrain was so big in the early uh, 2000s, late 90s, because it had a high salinity surge in Lake Pontchartrain and they were catching them on a, on a bridge pilings of Lake P, right? That's, and so, yeah, so dude, it, it just kind of keeps going now. Baffin Bay is kind of another place that's just this big trout mecca. And there's a there's a reason for that. And if you've never fished it, uh, and folks who've never fished it, they have a lot of really big structure with this worm rock, man. And, and some of these formations out in Baffin Bay are super impressive. I mean, they're like feet high, you wow. know? And so, it again, it goes back to just this big structure. And so having fished these different areas, I wrote that blog post calling Go Big. And I just think some of the gnarlier structure, like you're saying, some of that bigger stuff that they can orient themselves, you're going to have bigger predatory species like big bull reds, big jacks. But I tell you, man, those big trout can hold their own. And so oh, if yeah. you find that lone ranger in there, that's the one you're looking for. Yeah, man. And I mean, so I think a lot of people kind of bypass it and go look for bites on a flat or an oyster reef or something like that. Man, I would tell you, really focus on, you know, current breaks or those big things. If you're really looking for a fish of a lifetime. So those are really good point, Chip. Yeah. I mean, and, and, and we have a lot of rock jetties around here and that's what, you know, if you can just, those fish tend to catch, we catch them around the rocks, but it's not the kind of place, like you said, you got to wait till the tide gets right. If you pull up to there, you put your trolling motor down, the t- currents, it ain't going to happen. You got to be able to know when the time is right. And they call that the golden hour. You know, when everything mm-hmm. comes together, you can feel the yep. barometer gets right. You know, I'm not, a, I, I follow the moon phases and all that. I believe, you know, certain times, but you just can feel it as a fisherman that it's yeah. about to get right. And then here you just fire that plug up there, a couple of twitch, <laughs> snap, snap, snap. Boom, there it is. I got, I'm on, you know, and you're like, get the net, get the net. <laughs> it, it, and so, it's so distinct, right? Oh, right? God, big, man. Big trout hits man, versus it, a big red or a jack. I mean, when it's oh, that distinct, the percussion of that thump, right? It's just, oh, man. And that's what I was getting into the Paul Brown because the the hit was so violent, you know. And like I said, yeah. you to, to learn a whole, uh, you know, you know, we like I said, Paul Brown lures, are, they've been around forever. Mary Lure took them over. I throw the Steve's broken back. I mean, I follow you guys religiously. I mean, you know, I'm looking for constant trendsetter stuff coming from Texas. And I can tell you this, uh, my biggest trout I caught this spring, which was almost eight pounds, came off a one knocker. And the reason why I came off a one knocker was because, I number one, I pay attention with the guys in Texas. Every time you put up a dirty 30, a lot of these guys were throwing the one knocker, right? But yeah. my, I was throwing the rattling spook. I got on a big bite right after my mom passed away, May 19th. I mean, April 19th. And I went... So, and I was just sitting, you know, I was like, I'm going to go fishing. And it was just one of the overcast days, Chris. My buddy got on a major bite. That, there was a major feed that morning. He had a five and a six. And it was springtime. So you're, you're looking for big fish. Our, our favorite time of the year is April and May here for me, for the big girls. Or rode up. You know, you're going to, you got opportunity for a light big fish. And I, you know, blanked out a little bit, missed some fish. And I said, I'm just going to go in. And I'm running down the coastal. And all of a sudden, I see this big structure over to the right, which is produced. I hadn't fished it 10, 15 years. And I pulled up to, and what you got is you got current running out of the intercoastal, and it's going around a big piling, a big structure like uh, a power line. Mm-hmm. And I looked over there, and everything looked right. The water was just ebbing, you know, just coming out. And I fired up, picked up a top water, hadn't thrown it all day, and I was throwing a rattling spook, and and I threw it because my buddy had been killing all that, and there's not a lot of people throwing around here. And boom, it was just one around there. Boom. Well, then what happened was my front hook. I, w- I was, you know, I always change my hook, hooks out, put a black nickel, and sometimes they'll pop off. They don't last forever, you know, rust out. Right. And I was like, the way that thing was running, it was like the uh, this rattling spook was running up on its side, up on the top because that no hook was making giving it like a little plane, so it was like planing instead of being tight and going, you know, straight walk the dog. It was like wanting to run up so fish were missing it. So I said, I got to make a quick change. So I opened up my lure box. You know what I had? My three, my go-to is skitter walk redfish pattern. Oh yeah, spook junior bone, one knocker. And you know what I thought to myself? I'm going to go with this one knocker because I've been following the speckled truth. <laughs> and I've been seeing these guys. No, this is a, you know, this is a true story. It's back in April. And I've yeah. seen these guys doing it. So I picked that one knocker up. And, man, I fired it. And I make a long cast. Bang! Now it's walking like a snake. Because that yeah. hook's not dragging. I mean, you got to pay attention to your equipment. I didn't want to keep – I didn't want to get off the bite. But I knew that hook was get, was impairing the way that uh, rattling spook was running. So I fired that one knocker out there. Boom. Fish misses it. Fire back in there. Boom. Cut, hunt. I thought it was a redfish. Came up, humped up on it like a manatee, exploded on the one knocker, and I'm fighting it like a redfish. I'm like, well, at least I'll get a pitcher fish. Because, I mean, I caught so many four, three, fours, and five that I wasn't going to stop to get a pitcher, you know? 
don't stop until you get something worth taking a picture. That's right. And so uh, I'd say, this will be my picture fish. And it came by the bow of the boat, Chris. It went port. And I saw it. I was like, oh, God. It was a big trout. I was like, oh, no. And I'm like, so I start reaching back for the net, you know, pushing the rod. I'm by myself, you know, pushing the rod. And she makes a run. And she, and she, I miss her with a net. And she goes under the boat. I'm like, no, 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 no. Comes back. I mean, this, I don't get like this for any other fish except a trout or stuff. That's it. So she comes up and I get her in the net. And I come back, Chris, and I drop. I was like, "Oh my gosh!" And she had that one knocker bone in her mouth, man. And I mean, that's that was that's I said it was a golden hour, and I, that was my biggest trout this year, and it weighed almost eight pounds. It was a pretty big. It wasn't a dirty thirty though, and I mean, I've got I have two fish over thirty inches, but back then it was no dirt. One was thirty two, which I caught on a white top dog, which was an insane fish, and she weighed nine and a quarter because it was the middle of summer. She had no gut to her. And then I caught that nine and a half, which uh, 31 and a half inch on a, on a uh, float rig. And then I got a, I got a couple thirties, but I mean, they were yeah. like seven and a half eights, but no 10 pounder. Do you have any tens, Chris? I have, I have two, two over 10. Oh God. I want I, the day I joined that club, I'm going to be, I've been fishing for 30 years, man. And some people are like, you ain't doing it right. Why not? And I was like, well, Hey, you can't round up on a trout. You tell me you got a nine and three quarter pound trout. You can't call it a 10. Don't do it in our yeah. book. I want to see it because you know you can round up on a redfish, you can round up on a flounder, you can round up anything but a trout. You cannot tell me you caught a ten pounder. My buddy had a nine and three quarters, Chris, and he was screaming at the top of his lungs. I said, "Are you sure, man? No, it's it's nine and three quarters. Well, you can't call it ten. <laughs> you can't call it ten. That's I it. agree. You know it's, that's 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 kind of part of the. I mean, if you if you know, you know. Yeah, no the the two the two I had that were over double digits were were true double digits. Um, super blessed, man. Obviously, catch him. Um, one was a thirty and a half. She had a seventeen and a quarter inch girth. Ah. Uh, that's I unfortunately like you, super unprepared. Uh, really, my I was actually my first thirty inch trout that I ever caught, and uh, ended up trying to revive her. She wouldn't live, and I uh, tried to release her, and uh, she she went belly up and. So I took her home, getting a new wave. Actually, I'm still one trout short. I'm going to get a five trout mount from new wave taxidermy when I catch that fifth 30, hopefully, God willing. Uh, and I want to make a really cool stringer mount uh, of these fish kind of going up like Jay Watkins has in his house. It's super awesome, man. And then, uh, But nonetheless, I basically took the, the measurements, got some really good pictures of her and then ended up filleting her. And she had a 15 inch trout in her stomach <laughs> as well as the belly full can, of roe, man. I, can I check? You know, you just said that that's so funny. Cause I was telling my friend, so yep. that trout you had had a 15 inch trout in her stomach, right? Yep. The 32 inch trout that I caught back when, uh, it was probably mm -hmm. two, th it was, no, I had a run in 1999. So it was in 99. Yeah. Two, two days before that I was working night shifts. I didn't have a restaurant didn't have an autistic child. And you know, I just had time to fish uh i was with my father i was by myself and i, was, I had like an 18 inch trout on the line i was telling you chris out of nowhere here comes this big trout whoo boom and just trying to eat this yeah. thing and i'm like whoa and I was, i'd work night shifts so i was you know i just get up and go i wouldn't go to sleep while i was off that day i just go fishing so it's kind of like i didn't believe what i was seeing i was like God. so two days later 30 yards from where i had her almost eat that i caught that trout and that was a 32 mm. incher and I mean, she, she, I mean, that's, I mean, it's, and I'm not saying it because you flayed that trout and had a 15 inch other trout in it. It's funny. Like you said, they will eat their bit. They will eat. I mean, oh. they eat trout. I mean, they're those fish. I mean, you saw the ones in Guana where the one, uh, uh, chip had. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, the he, one that uh, Crusher best, had, man. Crusher had that what, 14 pounder or something. It had a red fish in its mouth still eating. You ever see that one? You know Crusher. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Was that, was that a 14-pound fish? It was either, I think it was a 12 or 13-pound fish, but it had a redfish tail hanging out of its mouth. No, it, yeah. It was uh, a double-digit fish. Had, I think it was 11 or 12 pounds. Yeah. It, actually, I would. I haven't talked to Anthony in a long time, man. Crusher. I haven't either, man. I, I, Where's he been? You know what I mean? He, he, he's such a, what a great guy to talk to, man. Oh, so, yeah. 100%. So humbled. And, you know, once again, he's part of that guano posse, which... Yeah. You know, like no disrespect uh, the scene, you know. uh, yeah you know, but i mean they're, they're, you know he caught that fish you know that fish ate a 17 mr he likes the broken glass yep. that's his favorite that's his favorite lure. He, and he likes that eg color man that, he, yeah that the eg that's really it that, light, that's the broken that light glass. green yeah that broken glass okay it's deadly over here i mean it's yeah. i had to beg eric to make it a 27 because once you start throwing a 27 it's hard to go back to a 17 i just like it doesn't feel right eddie won't throw it don't give me no 17s, man. Get that thing out of my tackle box. What are you doing, man? That's too small, man. No, I'm with it. He's funny. But, hey, so I wanted to touch on something you were talking about, man. What's that? Just with regards to the top water. And so for folks who 
have followed us and maybe haven't and missed that post that we did that you were kind of referring to earlier this year, um, I want to kind of break it down a little bit and why. And that that's the cool part about getting some of this data, man, is because if for nothing else, it gives you confidence in a selection that you're going to make. And so as we're collecting the data uh, going uh, forward for the, the 1920 citation year, I started seeing a similar trend like you were kind of noticing that everybody that was submitting fish for citations 27 inches or above that were registered on top water, almost two thirds of them came off of a one knock. One knock, yeah. That's why I threw it. That's why I threw it. Or a head and product, right? No, no, no. So I had I had that inclination and I'm like, man, let me go back through the data here and see. And so I was looking for it when you were talking. Um, and so I couldn't find it sadly. But I made that post and you can go back and, and look at it on the Facebook page. But it was like two thirds of the top water or two thirds of the citations that were caught on top water were caught on a, a head and product, right? Yeah. A super spook, a spook junior, Rattling a one spook. knocker, et cetera. Yeah. And so the, the funny thing is, is you can kind of really dissect that. And we still have something that we're trying to do to kind of maybe prove that theory to some extent. But nonetheless, the idea is we try to collect that data, share it a little bit, because <clears throat> when you're out there, you draw from that experience and maybe give you a little bit of confidence and you go, you know what? I, I got three choices. Yeah, that was it. I dude. just it was read crazy, this one. Man. I, no, Let's go for uh, it, and, it was, and wing it, right? Oh, man, it was so, I mean, it was like I let, I, I was shaking because the bike, I mean, I was catching nothing but three and five pounders. I mean, it was like the gold now. Right? But, so the more mm-hmm. time I wasted, the less time, I mean, what, what happens over here, Chris, is when that tide drops and stops, the bike's over. Okay, so I was fighting yeah. the end, last year out going. You might have just a sprinkling of the first thing coming, but once it's with, those fish move on. I mean, they move in packs. You know what I mean? They just don't stay there forever. They're moving. So I knew I had to make a quick decision, you know, and I had it. I looked at that. I looked at that skitter walk. I looked at and that bone, super spook bone, Junior, is a deadly one. But all of a sudden, in the back of my mind was this guy that's standing there holding a 30-some inch fish and 30-30, <laughs> and what he kept, and they said pink one knocker. I guess they make yep. a pink one. And the guys, I'm yeah, like, pink gold. Yeah, pink gold. Yeah. And I'm thinking, I'm thinking to myself, what am I going to get? And the whole time I was thinking to myself, information, man, information is key. Think about what people tell you. Take away something when you do. Even if someone listens to this podcast and they think this guy's all over the place, he don't know what he's talking about. <laughs> but I mean, the thing it is, if you just take one thing from it, you know, listen to what the guys are getting them on. You know, don't don't be hard headed. You know, I got a buddy of mine. He won't change lures. They'll hit this too. Okay, what's well, thirty to nothing? Are you going to change yet? I mean, what are we doing nope. here, man? <laughs> I'm like, well, being so damn stubborn, man. I mean, they're hitting this lure for a reason, but, uh, yeah. you know. And so. that's what, so that's what's going to be cool, man. And so, like, yeah. this upcoming year, we're going to have uh, Brian Latimer. I don't know if you know Brian. Yeah, yeah, he's yeah. Actually, yeah. He's an elite series pro. Yeah, I follow him. Yeah, 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 real nice. Yeah, I mean, I follow all this guy. A lot of our fishing comes from freshwater. It's just transition to saltwater. I mean, that's basically so, what we're doing. Yeah, but okay, so let's talk about that guy who's on an elite level fishing against literally the world's best across literally from across the world, right? And competing against those guys in big, big stakes tournaments, lots of money, sponsorship dollars on the line, and a lot of pressure. A lot of pressure. Pressure. And so they fish efficiently. They are very in tune with their equipment. Um, they are are super um versatile in their technique. So they'll I mean those guys can drop shot for smallmouth bass in 30, 35 foot of water, you know, with a little three inch trick worm. And then the next one will be down in uh, Okeechobee and it'll be punching. Right. And, and so it's just the versatility that those guys have. And that's why I want to have Brian Latimer actually on the podcast is because he does coast, he does fish coastal waters in South Carolina and has. And so I want to kind of talk to him a little bit about the transition and hopefully for our listeners can understand a little bit more about what goes through a BASS Elite Series angler's mind and then how that information translates to the everyday saltwater angler or a guy like us that, you know, I wouldn't say is advanced, but is looking to up their game a little bit more and be more versatile and have a little bit more information or have and draw a little bit more confidence in different things well that's and the so, problem and then that's where i'm i mean i'm at it i mean i'll tell you i'm not a very versatile guy so the, when i say versatile is like i can't go out there and just pick up a, a yeah. four inch grub and just you know 
way go just because I don't have confidence in it. But I mean, someone like you know, you know, getting back to Eddie, and there's other great guys too. But I just I know yeah. he's great with all. He can throw the stick bait. He don't like top water, but I've seen him just crush him on swim baits. You know, yeah. plastic. So yeah, and so but to be able to travel to different fisheries, you have to be versatile. Yeah, it but. And that's where I've tried to tape my game is like, I'll literally try to catch them on a small Ned rig. And and like this year I'm throwing a Tokyo rig and people are like, what the hell is that? But it's kind of like a modification of like a drop shot slash. Oh yeah. Rig I've seen, yeah, I saw, I, yeah. Right. Right. Yeah, I've so, seen it. But a lot of these techniques that they've created and, and have inception in the saltwater scene ha- have really not been introduced to the saltwater game yet and that's where last year i actually it was two years kind of in the making was that time i went and fished with eddie and throwing and catching him on at l30 i'm like you know what i bet you i'm moving back to texas because that was right i was fishing in florida right before i left to to move back to texas and i'm like i bet you those fish in south texas because i had been here before haven't seen a jerk bait, a lip jerk bait, and seeing the versatility of that bait and how it fishes certain water columns, I'm like, ah. And so when I started kind of peeling the onion back a little bit about not only jerk bait fishing, but then the certain brands of jerk baits, you know, the certain capabilities each jerk bait has, like from a scent rate to a scent profile. And literally, man, I've been able to see fish respond to each, you know, different technique that you have. And and so when you can understand literally every lure and its capability that's in your tackle box and then widen that arsenal to the nth degree, like these BASS guys, I think that's super valuable, man. And that's, that's, what's fun for me and about and that, trying and to learn and more about trout and it's fishing. hard too, because a lot of people don't want to put that time in. They just want to try to, <laughs> they'll want to go with you and watch you. But I mean, like you said, to master plastic, swim bait, hard baits, yep. soft baits and all that, to be the versatile guy, and like I said, I, I find this Paul Brown line was kind of fun because it was giving me a new option. You sure. know what I mean? Even though it's not a 27, I don't have to work it as fast. It's something, yep. I, you know, I like to watch that. And, you know, I'm just seeing the, the, the what I'm getting from these fish because they don't see a lot of it. And I think these fish see so much all the time. Is there any, I mean, they're like, they've seen that lure a million times. We'll come with something yeah. different, you know, try oh. something different. Don't get stuck on one lure, man. Oh, 100%. And I mean, God, we've all seen it, right? Where we've just made one modification and just absolutely wrecked yeah. them. And, and so actually, this um, late May was awesome, dude, because I had a string of really some solid fish in an area. And I really dialed them in in terms of when they were going to be in these areas. And so uh, I caught a bunch of them on that um, that Texas eye. And so all of a sudden, they went stone cold, man, on that Texas eye and a, and a six-inch gamble of flapping shad. So I was fishing heavy grass, and then all of a sudden, that water had come up. Um, and so pulled the bait out, man. I hadn't fished in years, and it's a fat boy, uh, but it's a fat boy floater, and I haven't thrown it in a long time. And I'm like, you know what, dude? These fish are up skinny with this high water. Let's, let's wheel it, right? It's been a hot minute since I've thrown this bait, and sure enough, man. But I had combed that area maybe three or four times that day to no avail. Made one modification, caught three. Actually, it was like three, two citations. One of them was like <laughs> one of them like sticks. One of them was close to eight, uh, uh, and then like a like a light five. And then God knows, man, it was probably like ten or twelve. You know, between that twenty to twenty four inch range, it was awesome, dude. The bite was just unreal. Well, it's crazy and, you said that. I got this. I'm looking. But that at, was it. I'm looking. That's at all he wanted, man. Yeah, I'm looking at this floating fat boy. I've had it sitting on my counter. Because when I ordered a bunch of stuff, because you know the difference in that is they got the little pink gill slit. Oh, yep. Yeah, yep. and I've been looking at it, and it's been in the package. And it's a bone. It's white. It's uh, it's a FB FL Gringo. Oh, I think it's a. It's oh yeah, a, that's yeah. a custom corky. Yeah. Man. Oh yeah. I spent yeah. Some, I, hey, Texas been taking some of my money. <laughs> I got, I'm on all those custom sites, man. I've I got more lures, and Carter's got pills. I probably should start selling some of these lures, man. I could never use all this stuff. You know, a lot of times I like to give back, man, you know, and uh, you know, I'll have guys come over. I was like, man, take those lures out there. They're like, you want to get that? I was like, yeah, because it's, you know, like I just bought three lures of yours. I just bought three of those 27s, uh, yeah. the red and whites with the dot, which, that, you know, that's a speckled trout. We always call that the TT. So that was like the 27 TT. You know, tiny trout. Yeah, the yeah. tiny trout, man. And I mean, look at it. And, and I'll tell you what, uh, you know, and I'm proud to say this. I taught Eddie how to throw the 52M. 
So, so let's, Hey, let's go there real quick. Right. Uh-huh. Cause we're, we're coming short on time. I got you. I, I, I'd be remiss, man, if we didn't talk about you and Eddie's relationship. So how did, how did y'all meet? Well, it's crazy because Eddie was, you know, before, uh, you know, before social media and all that, and I was just coming off that big win in the Redfish Cup, and I was making a little name for myself around here. I won that in 2000 and, uh, you know, won some triple challenges and, you know, did okay. I never really did good with traveling, but I tried to, you know, do the Redfish Cup and all that. But uh, Eddie just remembers me, and Eddie was just a scrawny little guy by then, but I do kind of remember him, but he says, yeah, the first time I ever tried to talk to you, you didn't even want to talk to me. I said, now, Eddie, does that sound like me? Uh, no, I said, I'm not that guy, dude. He says, well, and so he's always, and you know, it, it, I'm humbled by the respect that he gives me because he'll tell you right now, he, t- he says, Chip, I fish with you. You fish as good as anybody, better than anybody I've ever fished with, which I take as a compliment. But when I get in the boat with him, yeah. I give him the front of my boat because I'm just nervous that I'm not going to put him on the fish. So I always yeah. just bowed down. I was like, and he's the only person that takes my boat. So we just we started this friendship, and then I started the you know the flounder pounder fishing tournament, which is, you know, that's coming up. I got twenty three days before that. I don't want to hit yeah. on that too much, but I mean that's a charity tournament, and Eddie really started helping me promote it and all that. And the crazy thing is that guy's won more tournaments in Jacksonville than anyone I know, but he's never won my tournament. You know what he's gotten? A fifth, fourth, third, and a second place. And he and a, a, another local legend knocked him out of the aggregate division was Bob Morris, and you know he's a legend here in Jacksonville. Redfish, you know, redfish guy. I mean, just a super great guy. We fished against each other for years. He great. He, he was he was sandbagging and grandstanding at the end. Last boat to weigh in, man. Not Eddie out of first place. So he's never oh, won. Yeah, yeah. So we've always we've had a great friendship. We don't, you know, we don't talk every day. We but you know, I can pick the phone up and call him. And you know, I really want him to sit in all this talk. I wish he would have. I mean, I think he probably. Yeah. You know, maybe one day we can get him to do it again. Because I mean, I've, <laughs> I, I've had a blast. Like, like I said, I can get off topic. I kind of try to entertain people. Uh, but I, you know, going back to my roots and talking about that is something special. And I mean, I really like doing it. Um, you know, and, and having the opportunity to kind of tell people whether they want to listen or not. Okay, I can tell you this: there was no social media back then. And if you weren't on the water, I, if you were on the water, I would recognize you. But I don't see a lot of people on my Facebook page or out there in the '90s when I was out yeah. there. So, and I'm not trying to say I pay. I help. I help create it because. Now you can just go and log on all these different pages. They'll teach you what to do. We didn't have that back right. then. So, um, but, you know, that's just, it is what it is. But I do love hunting big trout. And as soon as I get my over my tournament, we're going to my best time of the year. November, December, January, February, March, April. Some yep. May, but then I don't fish hardly at all in June, July, and August. <laughs> my boat yep. moves less. I'm with you, man. I'm you know, with it's so you, hot, so. man. Oh, it's brutal. And, and not only that, man, there's just a lot of people in the water. Right. Uh, a lot more pressure. Uh, it is. Like, it's don't you like those hot. cold, those cold oh. days in the winter, man? When you got to put that sim suit on, and you know you're like you're and you got that coffee going. And it's five thirty in the morning. and You're like, I know they're out there, man. You're just like, but why people are still sleeping? I probably did. I ripped more lips than most people before they even wake up at seven fifteen in the morning. And it's because they won't go when it's super cold. But if you wear the right stuff, I mean, that's a whole different that's topic. Cool. You know, prepare for the elements. You can fish in any weather. That's my favorite. Is, oh, my. is I've seen a lot right. of good pictures of you too, dude. I mean, oh, we've never man. met in person. I feel like I, you know, I've known you for years. But uh, the best pictures I see when you're out here, and I can see in your eyes, and every time you're doing it, the background is like it has to be low pressure, northeast. Yep. I mean, uh, pre-front, probably not not yep. two days post-front because then you go bluebird, sunny day. I mean, you don't want that. You're on the verge of something big's coming, and you're always out, and the skies are dark and gray. That's it. And you're holding that big old dirty thirty. I live for that, man. I, I really do. That's when. That's when. Uh, it's coming. That's when it's made, man. Right. That's when. Uh, that's when getting out there. That's that's the stuff. Yeah. Right I mean, it, and, so, it, and what you're doing is awesome, man. I'm I'm glad we thanks, have a platform. Man. And uh, you know, like I said, I'll, I'm going to work my rear end off to get Eddie in this. Get in on because I think people <laughs> people want to hear from Eddie, you know. But I mean, he's so humble. He don't want to talk. I'm like, what do you mean? You do you do a great talk. So, um, but you know, Jacksonville is a great fishery. You know, like I said, um, you know, we got a great community over here. A lot of great trout fishermen. I, I'm just one guy in a pecking order that's not trying to be the, you know, the alpha male. I'm very humbled, man. But I do. They do call me four, five, six. What? What's that? Four, five, six. I couldn't catch a seven. Four pound, five oh, pound. No <laughs> that's, that's my nickname, man. They're like, oh, I'll, I'll call Eddie. I go. It's your daily report. Four, five, six. He's like, man, you ain't. And he goes, I got an eight and a half last night. I was like. Well, I got a four, I got a five, I got, but like you said, a lot of people don't even catch four, five, six pounds. Um, but that's just something I want to throw out there, man. But uh, cool. but it's been a good talk, brother. I really appreciate you having me on here. Like I said, 
North Florida supports Speckle Truth. We love what you're doing, man. Keep it up. Appreciate it, Chip. Thanks so much, man. Hey, I just got one last question. What's that, what, what, kind of, what kind of beer are you drinking? Oh, believe it or not, a stupid old Bud Light. Hey, ah. listen, hey, I want to get you over <laughs> on the Egret. You know, I got my new Egret and all that. It's going to be ready to go. Side console. We got to get you over here, brother. Me, you, and Eddie, we'll go. I got you, man. Let's let's do it. Um, drink one for me, okay, Bo? All right, buddy. Take care, and I appreciate okay. the opportunity. Thanks, man. You got it. Hey, everyone. Thanks again uh, so much. Uh, the more we do these, the more I love them, right? And, and I really appreciate everyone sticking around uh, to listen through these. Really, truly appreciate it. I can't thank the uh, sponsors enough. You know, Mirror Lore, Texas Custom Lures, and the original Custom Porky uh, for their support again in season two. Uh, so integral to our message, so integral to this podcast and a funding uh, component to that. And so, again, show them some love and, and really support them for us really kind of hopefully being able to bring some of these uh, stories to you. And not only that, some of the guests from across the country. So until next time, guys, tight lines, God bless. And always remember, take what you need and release the rest. God bless.